Father, I just pray today, Lord, that you would speak to us exactly where each and every single one of us are at. Lord, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would just fill me afresh right now, Lord, that wherever we're all at, God, that you would take us on a journey further, God. Lord, that we would leave here with a bigger picture of who you are. God, that we would leave here with a bigger understanding of what this Christian life is, what, what life is, what we're called to when we're walking with you. In your name. Amen. Amen. So guys, we're in a series called Acts. So obviously we're going through the, the book of Acts. We're, we're on Acts 19 today. So if you guys have your Bibles, feel free, open Acts 19. And this is actually, gonna, it's called Ephesus part one. You guys will be pleased to know that, that we're not going to do the whole chapter. Okay. But still, it seemed to be pretty similar length. But anyhow, Ephesus part one. So it's going to be the first kind of the first half of Acts 19. Now, we're, we're following Paul and he's he's just started his third missionary journey. He's left Antioch and he's traveled through Cilicia, visiting through Galatia, visiting all the churches he planted in the first missionary journey. That's kind of the Galatian churches or church like Derby and Lystra, where Timothy's from and Iconian and Pisidian Antioch. And then he hits this part where it's says he travels through the interior road he travels back through turkey through this this province here which is called asia when i speak about asia today don't think of kind of vietnam hong kong china this is the province that i'll be speaking about if ever i say asia i'm talking about this part of western turkey so that is the province of Asia. And interestingly, this is that road that Paul, in his first missionary journey, he tried to go through there, tried to go through the interior. But remember, God stops him. And he ends up going north into Bithynia, or tries to go into Bithynia. God stops him from going into Bithynia. And he ends up traveling right around the coast there and ends up at Troas. That's his first missionary journey. That he's now traveling along a road that had previously been closed to him. Previously, he'd, he'd try to walk this path and this door had been shut. And you know, guys, there may be things in your life, in our lives, where we felt God's really shut a door for us for certain things. He's, he's closed a door. You felt, okay, that door's been firmly shut to you. But I just want to encourage you. Are we asking God regularly these these kind of things is that door open again because sometimes God's going to open up a door again that has previously been closed to you maybe in that season it just wasn't the right time but now this is the right season for some things it is right and Paul travels back through Asia for Bithynia that door was closed and Paul never goes to Bithynia so some doors are meant to stay shut some doors God's going to open at a later date and that's why relationship with God and spending time with God day in and day out it's not just a Sunday thing but it's a, a living relationship that we have with him so that we're hearing what he's doing in the now we're hearing what he's saying to us not two years ago not last week even but God what are you saying to me today it's so important and so Paul arrives in Ephesus Paul gets to Ephesus, and this city is the capital of this whole province of Asia. Ephesus is a coastal city. It's a city which is the main city of that entire province. It's a city filled with divination and all kinds of magic and sorcery. It's famous for this big, big temple complex called the Temple of Artemis. The Romans call Artemis Diana, so some translations say that. So, But this, this complex, it's 
It's seen as one of the seven ancient wonders of the world. It was this pride of Ephesus, this marvel of what was there. It was built in 550 BC, and it was made of solid, white, gleaming marble. It had ornate decorations and colors all over 36 of its 127 columns. These columns, which were 60 foot high, filling this space, which were 425 foot long, and 220 feet deep. So it's a huge complex. There was all sorts as well of art that was given there by the most famed artists of the time. It was the pride of Ephesus. And so you see like Ephesus, the main thing's a temple. Ephesus is this deeply spiritual place full of superstition, but it's also a place of trade, of commerce, all kinds of things where you've got Roman rule and then also Eastern mysticism meeting together. And so after arriving, Paul then meets these 12 disciples. So I'm gonna read verses one to seven. It says, while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, no, we've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. And Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him. That is in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 men in all. So it's this really interesting situation that Paul steps into. Paul meets his 12 guys, and there's something about these guys that causes Paul to ask, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Like there's something that's going on with them. There's something about them that makes him ask that question. Notice here as well, Paul recognizes these guys as believers, that they are believers. They say to him, we haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And so it's very likely that these 12 guys, that they're, that they're Jews, it's pretty possible as well that they actually came to believe from Apollos. Remember, Apollos is the one who had, we spoke about Apollos last week. He's this Jew from Alexandria and he's somebody who turns up in Ephesus and Priscilla and Aquila speak to him and realize, they, they pretty much realize that, hang on, he doesn't know about the Holy Spirit and he doesn't know about baptism. It says he's only been baptized. So yeah, it's very likely that these are believers or converts of, of Apollos who's come there and led these guys, led these Jews to faith. It's very likely as well that they are Jews. And so these 12 say that we haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And very perceptively, what does Paul say? Paul says, well then, what baptism have you guys received? And they say, John's baptism. And Paul continues and he says, well, John's baptism is a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him. That is in Jesus. So what is John's baptism? Quite an interesting question, right? We often don't jump back into that. Well, John's baptism, John's ministry is a ministry to the people of Israel, isn't it? He wasn't going all over the world. His ministry was a ministry to the Jews, to the people of Israel. And his job was calling the Jews to repentance. Remember, 
I say it a few times that repentance isn't so much saying, oh, I'm really sorry, I'm really sorry. Repentance means to change one's mind, to go a completely different way, to do like a 180 and walk the other way. And so what is it that John is challenging the Jewish people to do? What's he saying? We'll think differently about this, about their identity, about their, their salvation. See, up until that point, we've got God's people, the children of Abraham. You've got they're circumcised at birth. They become part of this family of God. And sure, they're going through all the rituals and the sacrifices year in, year out. But it was the Jews are God's people. The Gentiles are destined for destruction. But John, he steps into that world and he's calling the Jews to a spiritual community to become a spiritual people of God, demanding this individual decision to repent, to change their way, to call on God, to ask for the forgiveness of their sins and to look forward to the Messiah, to the one who would be the fulfillment of that forgiveness of their sins. See, John points forward to Jesus, the one who's coming to establish his kingdom. John prepares the way for the Jewish people for Jesus. He's preparing the way, he's preparing the Jewish people to receive Jesus. Remember John stood there at the banks and he says, look, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. He knew about Jesus. That's his whole ministry. And so when a Jewish person, when they received John's baptism, it was a radical act of an individual commitment to belong to this true people of God. See, based on personal confession, based on repentance, not on this corporate identity of of people that they've just been born into. So these guys, they're they're seeking God. They know about Jesus. I mean, think about Apollos, right? He's preaching Christ from the Old Testament. They get all that. They understand that Jesus is the Messiah, but they've not heard about the baptism in the name of Jesus. And they've not, well, they've not had it, so they probably haven't heard about it. And they've never, they've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul, it says, Paul then baptizes them in the name of Jesus. Different baptism. That's what we know today as water baptism. That's what we do today as church. It's that public declaration of an inner reality. So being baptized, we see in the Bible, being baptized into the name of Jesus is this act of obedience following this belief, this repentance and belief, this expression of faith that Christ died, that he rose again, that he's the one that cancels our debt with God, that he's the one who triumphs over Satan. And he raises spiritually dead people to be alive. He raises the spiritually dead from the grave, and he does all this through faith. And so that is why baptism is something that we do as believers You know, things like christenings and stuff like that, I've been christened, you know, growing up as the the tradition I was in. But the baptism the Bible speaks about is different. I've got no problem with people being christened and that kind of thing. Say it, I was. There's nothing wrong with it. But the thing is, it's just not that. It's just not baptism. It's not the baptism in the name of Jesus, which is, as the Bible puts out, repent, believe, and be baptized. When I was so many days old or whatever, when I was christened, I hadn't repented. I hadn't believed. So it's great to dedicate kids and things like that. But this is slightly different. Repent, believe, and be baptized. Baptism is this act of obedience. So it follows on from faith. It's done as as a sign of what's gone on in the inside. Baptism is the sign of what's gone on in your heart. The action of baptism isn't the thing that saves us. The action of baptism doesn't save us. It merely confirms 
and is a public declaration of the faith that we have, and it's that faith in Christ which lays hold of our salvation. Paul then, he lays hands on these guys, and they're filled with the Holy Spirit. These guys are filled with the Holy Spirit, and they, they prophesy, they speak in tongues. We are commanded to baptize people, right? We baptize people in water. But also we lay hands on people, but we don't baptize them in the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the one, the Bible says, baptizes in the Holy Spirit. And so these guys, suddenly they're filled with the Holy Spirit. They speak in tongues. They prophesy. And the thing I, I find very interesting here and it's, is that actually Paul asked these guys right back at the beginning, have you received the Holy Spirit? You know, Paul's understanding of receiving the Holy Spirit isn't an intellectual thing that actually they may have received the Holy Spirit and they haven't realized it. That receiving the Holy Spirit, you know about it. Now, it may not be that you speak in tongues and you prophesy, there's different manifestations, different things, but that if you've received the Holy Spirit, you know it. You know, sometimes on the other extreme, sometimes people have been told, okay, well, if you don't speak in tongues, if that doesn't happen, then you haven't received the Holy Spirit. It's, very, it's a big likely sign, but not, not necessarily. So it's not just about being religious yeah, and having that head knowledge. It is an experience with the living God. So that's a challenge for you guys today. Have you, like Paul asked, have you received the Holy Spirit? If you haven't, let's pray about that. Let's ask Jesus to fill you afresh. We'll do that after the service. So verses 8 to 10, it says this, Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively, what about? About the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. So Paul left them. He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus, dinosaurs in the New Testament. This went on for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. Paul spends three months in the synagogue. And what's he doing? He's preaching. He'll have been using the Old Testament because he hadn't written the New Testament. He hadn't got around to that. So he's using the Old Testament in the synagogue and he's preaching the kingdom of God. I think that's really, that's very interesting. It's very significant. You know, up until this point, he'd been preaching Christ as Messiah from the Old Testament. Now he's preaching to these guys the kingdom of God. And so something similar happens here in Ephesus as happens in Corinth, where the Jews, after a bit of time, they get a bit hacked off and start maligning the way. They start speaking bad about him. So Paul, probably very similar to Corinth, dusts off his clothes. And he leaves, and he goes and speaks in a different place. In Corinth, he went next door, didn't he, to Titus Justice's house. Here, he gets put in the lecture hall of some dinosaur called Tyrannus. This guy, very likely, he's a convert to Christianity who, or at that time it wasn't called Christianity, but it was a follower of the way, convert to the way. And he's very likely a teacher or a philosopher who had his own space for teaching. And he lets Paul use his usual space. And so Paul preaches there daily for two years. And it's from that teaching, amazingly, from that ministry just there, that it says all the Greeks and Jews in Asia, remember that map in, in, that, in that province, heard the gospel. Ephesus is that capital of the province, like I say. You've got people coming and going, traders, guys like that. People are hearing, hearing the gospel, hearing what Paul's teaching, and then they're going out and sharing. There's also people, very likely, that Paul's actually training up and sending out. You guys may have heard of a guy called Epaphras. He's someone who is around there in, in the New Testament. 
He's an Ephesian. He's from Ephesus. He's a guy who very likely at this time Paul is teaching and training and discipling. And it's believed that Epaphras actually plants the church in Colossae. So when Paul writes to the Colossians, he's writing to the church that Epaphras has started and launched. There's this beautiful picture. You see, when, when Paul starts teaching in the lecture hall, he's probably just thinking, okay, look, there's some... There's some changes here. It's, I'm just going to be teaching here. Probably wasn't dreaming of what God's going to do through the situation. But as time passes and people start going out, people start taking the message out, do you think Paul realizes, hang on, God's doing something big through this teaching ministry? Paul, up until that point, when he's seen a whole region changed and transformed, it's because he's literally gone from town to town with a small group of guys, gone in there, got attacked, got stoned, thrown out, all that kind of stuff stoned with the rocks. But in this time, everything seems different. Everything's changing. Suddenly we see many churches starting throughout Asia from this ministry. And in fact, even in Revelation, we read about the seven churches of Asia. They're planted and started at this time. You see, if you see the ones with the yellow dots, like Pergamum, Thyatira, remember Lydia from Philippi is from Thyatira, there in the middle, that one. Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea, Ephesus, and Smyrna. Seven churches in Revelation. It's the birthing of those awesome churches that a lot of them lost their way, but birthing of great churches. See, guys, challenge for us is whatever our vision, whatever, what, what's the thing, the road that you're on? What, what are we walking towards with God? Sometimes God wants to do something different through you. Maybe you're still doing the same thing. Like Paul's still seeing the gospel preached. He's still reaching, reaching people. But God's doing something in him in a different way. So sometimes God's going to open a door that when you look at it and you look at what the thing is, it's gonna, you're going to feel, you know, I don't see great fruit in that. I don't see how sitting here not going to these places is going to see loads of things actually happen. But sometimes, you know, your biggest success is going to be just following what God's saying, following that road of where he's leading you into. And Paul sees great success here. His whole MO changes, doesn't it? The whole way of doing things changes. He ends up being really a teacher, a lecturer in this lecture hall, training up guys, releasing others. And there's another challenge in that, is who are you training up? Because sometimes your biggest successes aren't by you, but it's by your Children, in effect, you know, the people that you're discipling, the people that you're releasing. I love companies where the people who have their job titles can't wait to get rid of their job title and let somebody else come into it. So, you know, and they go to a different place. That's a great culture to have in a company. Who are you training up? Who are you training to fill your position? Hey, guys, I've got Miles on you. I've got Miles on the back door. Who's coming to do this one? So... That is a challenge, guys. Who are you building up? Who are you, who are you lifting up? Because when you do that, it's not just great for the thing that you're achieving, but also you lead people and raise people into their destinies as well. I know I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for great men and women of God raising me up to be able and releasing me to be able to do these things. Verse 11 and 12, it says, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. So we've got this season of kind of lecture hall, tyrannous school, all that kind of thing. And it sounds, well, this sounds a little dry and boring, doesn't it? And he's just kind of teaching people things. But 
at the same time, in the very next verses, we see actually the situation is wild. It's completely off the chain. What, what God is doing here is absolutely incredible. That God is doing these amazing miracles through Paul, where they were bringing aprons or bits of cloth and handkerchiefs to Paul that he would be laying his hands on, praying over. They'd be taking them out to the sick, to the demon-possessed, and that these pieces of cloth, as people touch them, it would they would be healed. Not that the cloth had the power, but the spirit somehow on the cloth healed them, set them free. So I love it. It's not this just dry theological kind of seminary vibe. It's this very alive, living, the living word where you've got spirit and word being preached and lived out in this place. There's a guy called John G. Lake. He's an amazing missionary, had an incredible healing ministry. And He's dead now, but lived a long, quite a long time ago, I think turn of the century, that, that kind of time. And he was an American guy from Spokane, and he went out on mission to South Africa, saw thousands of churches planted, hundreds of thousands of people come to faith. And um, they did a newspaper that people could get, and they sent it all over the world. Now, before they sent it, they had this massive stack of newspapers, as you can imagine, and they lay, would lay hands on it and just pray, that, just pray over these newspapers in a similar way to Paul's laying hands on these bits bits of cloth. And there were reports, and one I just remember particularly, this lady who was, she was terminally ill, the other side of the world in Brazil. And she gets this newspaper and opens the newspaper, or undoes the envelope the newspaper's in, takes it out. And as soon as she opens this newspaper, boom, she's just hit, she falls to the floor and is completely healed. So Paul's supernatural ministry here it's so kind of, it's so significant. It's so, wow, this is amazing. What's going on is so wild that there are these itinerant, that means going around, Jewish exorcists, the seven sons of Sceva, who are actually trying to use the name of Jesus for their kind of copium, in a sense. And it says this in verses 13 to 16. Some Jews who went around uh, driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of Jesus over those um, who were demon-possessed. They would say, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. One day the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know and Paul I know about, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. You know, a crazy story, such a crazy, not, not normal. That hasn't happened to us since we've been in Saikung. What I find amazing is that what these seven guys are trying to do, the handkerchief is more powerful then. What's actually going on here? Why, why, does, why is that the result? What's going on? Well, these guys, these seven guys, they're trying to use the name of Jesus. They're trying to use it for their own ends. They, they don't believe in Jesus they don't have the, the faith in Jesus. But the, the main thing is they didn't understand the authority in the name of Jesus. So they're using the name of Jesus like a magic word. You know, this Jesus whom Paul preaches, they're using it almost like a tool to try and cast out these demons. But Paul, he doesn't use the name of Jesus like that. His whole heart is completely different when he's praying. What Paul does is Paul is declaring the authority of Jesus and coming underneath that authority. 
he's declaring that authority that when he speaks, he's not speaking on his own, on his own merit or anything, on, on his own holiness. He's not using it as a special word. He's speaking under the authority of Jesus. See, these guys, the seven sons of Sceva, they're not under the authority of the king and they're not operating in the name of the king in the kingdom. And remember, guys, that is what Paul has been preaching since he's been there. He's been preaching the kingdom, hasn't he? He's been preaching the kingdom of God to these guys. What is the kingdom? Kingdom literally means king's dominion, dom, kingdom, okay? King's dom, minion. The authority and the rule and the total power of a king. And so that is the authority that Paul speaks under. And that's, that's why here he focuses, when he's at there, he focuses his preaching on the kingdom because Ephesus is a city with so many spiritual dimensions going on, so, so many dominions, okay, dominions of darkness that are there. He needs to point the people in Ephesus to the ultimate authority, to the king. And the seven sons of Sceva, they're using this name, Jesus, but under their own authority, or not under the authority of the king. And the, the seven sons, they point to themselves as kind of exorcists, as, as the authority, the power over darkness. And it could be seen in one way that they're looking for their own success, looking for their own glory. And so Paul, he raises Jesus up. He raises Jesus up, and he points to Christ as the victor over darkness. And that's why these Jewish exorcists, they have no power. But why Paul's handkerchief has immense power. See, guys, when we pray for the sick, you may have situations where you've got to pray for the sick. You may have a situation where you have to pray for a spirit or a demon to come out of somebody. When we pray for those kind of things, you have to be in a place of understanding what authority you're operating under, that you're operating under a higher authority, that you're operating under the authority of King Jesus. We don't need to stamp and shout. We don't need to bluster and kind of be really sort of hyper-religious and crazy weird. Do you know what I mean? You don't, you don't need to be like that for God to be like, you're not being weird enough. I'm be a bit more weird and then I'll do something. Okay. It's not that. It's all to do with authority. See, the breakthrough comes not because sickness and disease and death and the demonic and things like that look at you and think, wow, I'm going to bow to you because you're, you're amazing. You're saying some amazing stuff. You know, they bow because of the authority that's behind you. You know those films where like the little guy is like, ah, like that, and then everyone freaks out and runs away, and then suddenly he realizes like King Kong's behind him or something like that. It's like that. It's about the authority that you're under. It's about the authority that is behind you that causes every sickness to be completely swallowed up by light, not by your light, but by his light, the authority of the king. And this demon there, it says, Jesus I know, and Paul I know about, but who are you? The demon knows Jesus. The demons, they know Jesus, right? They know him, don't they? It's just like, son of God, get away from me. They know about his servants, those who are under his authority. But then they look at these guys stood there in their own authority and say, who are you? It's like, what authority are you coming against me with? 
You know, if we get arrested by Hong Kong police, there's an authority behind those guys. If some guy comes up to you with a badge he bought from Toys R Us, right, you would be like, uh, no, look, I'm not coming with you, I'm afraid. And the demon overpowers these seven guys. He takes off their clothes, right? It's a pretty crazy, funny picture, if it wasn't so terrifying. They beats these guys up, they're bleeding, and they run naked from this house. You know, guys, without Christ, outside of Christ, when faced with that kind of darkness, we don't have a leg to stand on. But in Christ, even a handkerchief can defeat that kind of darkness. See, we see a little picture of the gospel here that when a human is faced with death, and I don't mean dying like our body packing up, I mean like ultimate death. When we're faced with death, in our strength, in our ability, we're like the seven sons of Sceva, aren't we? Naked, defenseless. So people speak about eternal life, which effectively is death defeated. As if it's something that if you do a few things, if you're kind of a good person, and, and it's great to be good, right? But if you do a few good things and you're a good person, that be good and you get to go to heaven. It's just not what the Bible says. It's not what the Bible speaks about. You know, the Bible tells of a king who comes to defeat an enemy that mankind cannot face, an enemy that mankind cannot overcome, and that is death. In 1 Corinthians 15, 55 to 57, it says, Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? It says, The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Christ Jesus. It's not thanks be to God if you do a few good things, you have victory through your own self being good enough, right? That we have victory through Christ Jesus. Jesus. And that is exactly what Jesus invites us to share in, to share in his victory, a victory that we could never win ourselves, a victory that we could never be good enough and do, do enough good to earn. So your victory over death, your assurance, our assurance of eternal life. It's unique about Christianity, right? I don't think there's any faith on the planet that people can say they are assured of eternal life. But we can say without a doubt, we have assurance of eternal life and that it has nothing to do with you and everything to do with his victory over death. Is he your king? Is he your king today? Have you entered into that kingdom? You know, Jesus, one night, he meets a man, Nicodemus, and he says to Nicodemus, he says, very truly, that means I'm really being serious now. And he says it a number of times, but we're being super serious now. I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. In Colossians 1.13, says, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son that he loves. You see, eternally speaking, we kind of have a geography. Eternally speaking, you either live in the kingdom eternally or you don't and you live outside the kingdom. We either by faith receive Christ and are spiritually born again and enter his kingdom or we don't. So the question is, is he your king? Are you part of the kingdom today? Also today, maybe you're here and you're like, actually, yeah, Jesus is my king. But 
question I challenge you on is, do you have a right understanding of Jesus as king? Do you see him as king? For some, some people see Jesus as, I don't know, maybe some of the traditional paintings, you know? Some people see Jesus as like a weedy choir boy with blonde hair and blue eyes. But Jesus is the king. Jesus is the warrior. Revelation speaks about Jesus going out to battle on a horse with a tattoo on his thigh. That Jesus is so hardcore, it's hard to put, like, put it into words. It's a bit unbelievable. You know, it's so incredible that Jesus is so mighty and so glorious that John, his best friend, remember at the Last Supper, has it lays his head on Jesus' chest. Well, the next time John sees him, Really, after Jesus has risen again, when John has the revelation of John, when he sees him in heaven, and it says about John, this best friend of Jesus, that he falls as if dead at the feet of Jesus because Jesus is so glorious. Remember, it's the kingdom that Paul is preaching to these guys in Ephesus. And the authority of the king is all wrapped up in that. So for us, guys, to live this authentic faith... For us to live as the family of God, which is part of our vision, to be the family of God here in Saikung, here in Hong Kong, we have to have a right understanding and a healthy relationship and a good, yeah, a good way of living in the fact that he is king of kings and lord of lords, that he is the king. And for you to know what authority that you are under, when you guys pray in the name of Jesus, don't believe that the success of your prayer is based on how like, fervently you pray or like, how much you believe, the extent of your faith. Because you know what? If there is breakthrough and victory there, it's certainly not going to be in your faith, in your own faith. Okay? It's all on his authority. Faith as small as a mustard seed. Faith as small as a mustard seed just on this table is not going to grow, but in the right soil it's going to grow. And the right soil is knowing and understanding half your faith in how of his ultimate authority in your life and in this world. So don't feel stressed to be like, I've got to believe, I've got to believe. Because actually, you know, the level of your faith isn't the thing that's bringing the breakthrough. It's his authority. There's a story I knew, or I know a pastor in Wales and he's got a great story to illustrate this, which transformed a little town. And he's there, and this guy in a wheelchair comes to the front. Some of you guys know this story. So he comes, he comes to the front, and he just thinks, oh, man, this guy's been in the church for 10 years. And he comes forward every week to be prayed for. So he says, I, like, I don't think this guy's going to get healed. And he's like, okay, I'm going to pray for him anyway. And so I call over the assistant pastor. Call over the assistant pastor to share in my shame of like not being able to heal this guy. And he says, I just put my hand on this guy's shoulder and we just pray a very simple prayer. Just God, Lord, we just pray that you heal this guy. And the guy's legs start shaking. He said, initially, I thought the guy was just teasing me. The guy's legs start shaking. He jumps up out of the chair. Everyone starts freaking out. And then he lifts this chair, um, motorized chair that took two guys to lift normally up above his head and started running around the outside of this church. And the pastor just said, everybody completely lost it. God then spoke to the pastor and said, I want you to meet tomorrow night. He said, okay, I'll do that only if people come. Like if people turn up, if they don't, we'll stop it. They, he said, we'll carry on doing it until people stop coming or until you say, tell us to stop. They met for over a year, every single night for over a year. Thousands of people came to faith. Thousands of people got saved all started off from that moment where the guy 
didn't really feel like he had faith. I mean, he had, I know he had faith in the authority of God, but he wasn't in that, in that place. Jesus is king. So verse 17 to 20. When this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they had done. A number who had practiced sorcery bought um, their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. This moment is just... It's pretty crazy, actually. This incident we've got here with the seven sons of Sceva, all the other stuff that's going on, it leads everyone in that, in that region, or sorry, in that town, to be so transformed that they bring out all their scrolls and they burn it all publicly. You know, Ephesus is this super spiritual place. And the thing I want you to see here, guys, is that actually the beauty and the power and the majesty and the authority of God is far more wonderful and beautiful than spells and magic and all that kind of stuff. That these guys are used to seeing some crazy stuff. But they, what they see and what Paul's doing, what they see and what's going on there is so much that it, 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 it leads a bunch of sorcerers and magicians and witches and wizards and whatever they called them to bring out their scrolls and burn them. And that's not a little, like a little step. That's so massive because you can buy books just like, oh, I'll just order it from Book Depository and get a magic book from there. You know, people have got to spend time writing these out. This is thou- it's actually modern day money. It's millions and millions and millions of pounds worth of stuff that for each person person burning stuff it's not like oh I'm burning a book it's like I'm gonna burn like I don't know like six laptops you know just like that thousand tens of thousands of Hong Kong dollars just per person just burning up because there was such this kind of repentance this change of heart this actually we're gonna pursue God we're gonna follow God Many of those guys as well probably had already kind of come to faith. It says a number who believed came forward publicly and believed. Many people probably had come to faith still kept on to their magic books. And I think that's an interesting thing to see our journey as believers because Jesus doesn't say, get yourself sorted, then come to me. He says, come to me just as you are completely like the prodigal son, completely broken and penniless and in rags and stinking. And let's go on a journey together. And he works in us. And he makes us in that very moment, he makes us right before God and just, he justifies us before the Father. But then for many of us, there's a journey that we go on. We call that sanctification. Maybe there's something in our lives today that we need to get rid of. Now, I don't think you guys probably have magic books at home. If you've got a magic book, burn it. But maybe there are things that you guys need to burn up. Maybe there are habits you need to drop and change. That can sometimes be harder than just burning something. Maybe there's stuff that you've got that you need to delete that's not helpful for you. See, Jesus invites us just as we are and works on us over time. You're completely accepted. And so this incident of burning the books is so massive that it's the word of the Lord spreads widely around. It's not just some, oh, that was kind of interesting what happened. Everyone hears about this. It's so, it's huge and crazy. And Paul from that, it's almost like a watershed moment where Paul feels this release to, to move on. So I'm just going to go through the, the, last, the last little bit. It says, um, after all this had happened, Paul decided to go to Jerusalem, passing through Macedonia and Achaia. It's not on the way to Jerusalem, by the way, but he's decided to go the long way around. And he says, after I've been there, 
I must also visit Rome. He sent his, uh, two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, to Macedonia while he stayed in the province of Asia a little longer. Paul is a guy with a plan. He's got a big plan. He's moving things forward. And for some of us today, when I speak about big plans and big visions, it like lights, you know, there's something inside you. And I just want to encourage, that lights up. And I want to encourage you, if you've got a plan, you know, maybe you're in one season at the moment where you're, you're stationary and, or you're static in one place, but don't lose heart for the vision. Maybe you're helping and supporting someone else in their vision. And also, maybe you need to challenge yourself today. What is the big plan in your life? We need to live day by day with contentment in the everyday, joy in the everyday. But it's also good to look at what the long-term goals are. Do you need to think about that? And the thing that I love about Paul, and we see it as well in Timothy and Erastus, you know, all of these guys, they've been there for like three, nearly three years, comfortable. It's a city, it's a good city, probably some great food, the Turkish food, all that kind of stuff. I think that came later. But these guys, they're settled. It's a nice place for them to be. And then suddenly Paul's like, okay, let's go on the road again. You know, there wasn't like a welcome break. There wasn't, there wasn't nice services on, on your journey. Going, going back on the road is, there's no banks, right? It's tough, it's dangerous, it's hard. And I don't know if Paul found this tough, but there's a challenge in that for all of us is, you know, sometimes God is going to call us out of a place of comfort into a place that actually socially, how we see it today, doesn't seem that particularly comfortable. But I can guarantee you it's, it's the best thing. It, you know, actually probably the route Jess and I are taking, it's not the most comfortable route, but God provides and God is awesome through every single step of the way. I love as well how Timothy and Erastus, they've just got such a shared heart with Paul. They're so humble because they don't even seem to have a choice in it. Paul just says, go over to Macedonia, go, go back there, go back to that. Why don't you go back to that place where we're chased out of town? You know, it's not, it's not exactly, a, you know, it's not like a nice club med holiday or something like that. It's going to be dangerous. It's going to be challenging. But they've got such a heart for seeing the gospel grow and spread all over the world. And so guys, is the question for us is, is there anything in our lives that we hold on to more than our willingness to be obedient to him, to follow him, even if it's a hard one? You know, sometimes it may be literally move. Sometimes it could be. You need to do this job, but actually on the face of it, it looks stupid because the job's a lot lower salary, but that job, you never know, could lead you if God's, lead, if God's calling you to go there, it's going to be the very best thing for you. So how ready, guys, are you to step forward into anything where he's leading? Timothy and Erastus, those guys, they head off to Macedonia. Paul, he waits around. He shouldn't have waited. He waits around a little bit. And um, this is where we're going to pick it up in part two next week. So Paul doesn't, doesn't manage to leave. Things are about to get a little crazy. Paul gets this note from one of his friends, who's a big leader in the city, and it doesn't say this, but it says words to these, these effects. Paul, you need to hide. There's this crazy silversmith, and he's out for your blood. And so that's where we're going to pick it up next week. I just want to challenge you with a few things. Is there a door that's been closed to you in the past, and you need to pray and go to God? Actually, God, is... 
Can, you, you need to be engaged with God about, is that door ever going to be opened again? Is, there, is, there, is that door to be opened? Is now the season for that door to be opened? Also, have you, guys, have you been baptized? And I don't mean christened, which is great, I have been, but I mean baptized. Do you believe? Have you repented, believed, but haven't been baptized? If you haven't been baptized, speak to me. Let's get baptized. It's that step of obedience. Do you need to be open for God doing something in a new way through you? Have you been feeling stirred, but you're just not too sure what God wants to do? Or maybe you just need to get, get with him. And maybe God wants to do an old thing, something you're used to doing through you, but in a new way. And I think the biggest challenge today is, do you see Jesus as king? Is he your king? Do you need to receive Jesus today? Do you need to start following him? As believers here, do you have a good understanding, a right understanding of the authority that you're under in him? But do you need to receive him today? Guys, if you just close your eyes. I just want to ask, and then we're, we're going to pray, is if you want to start following him today and you don't, you don't follow him now, you wouldn't call him your king. If you want to make him your king today, I want to pray with you. But I just want you to pop your hand up in the air as everyone's eyes are closed. Just as a sign of saying, yeah, God, I want to do that. I want to explore you today. Father God, Lord, I just thank you, Jesus. Lord, I thank you for your Holy Spirit, and I just pray that as we worship you, that you would just come and fill this place afresh. Lord, I pray for each person here, God, that we have a good and right understanding of your authority, God, the authority that we live under, Jesus. Lord, I pray that we would have confidence not in, our, not in ourselves, but completely and utterly in you. Holy Spirit, come and fill this place afresh. Do a work inside each of our hearts, God, the many different things we looked at today, God. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would work in the hearts of all of us, God. Lord, that you would bless the people here, Lord, so that we could be a blessing in our worlds, God. Lord, because today isn't about this religious group of people being together, God, but it's about what we do as your sons and your daughters out in the world. Lord, let us be people who bring light to the world. Let's be people who bring that salt into our workplaces, God. And Lord, just as we worship you, I just pray that you come and fill this place afresh. In your name, amen.